God, you are good and you alone are good. Lord, we are thankful for your son, your son who provides atonement for us, your son whose blood cleanses us, uh, your son who allows us this opportunity to be indwelled by your spirit, your spirit who sanctifies us. And Lord, we're thankful that we can be in your presence and that eventually we will be in your full presence when your son returns. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know for a fact that every single person in here has experienced some sort of pain in life. There are all sorts of kinds of pain. There are obviously levels to pain. There's emotional pain. There's physical pain. But I know that we all have been through some kind of pain. And it's common for us, right? It's common for us to grapple with God. Uh, Maybe sometimes you struggle with the thought of being in pain and God being a good God, God being a loving God. Sometimes we wonder if God caused us to be in pain. But one thing is for sure, if we believe in God being the sovereign creator of the universe, one thing is for sure is that God at least allows us to go through pain. Right? God is loving, but God at least allows us to go through pain. Another question is, well, does God intend sometimes for people to go through pain? Maybe in a certain sense, yes, right? Because with Jesus on the cross, that is most certainly intended. That wasn't an accident. That was intended pain on the cross. And in John chapter 11, we might see to a certain extent that Jesus intends for some people to go through some pain. So maybe there's a sense in which God doesn't, you know, intend for things though, right? Sometimes maybe God doesn't intend pain, but nevertheless, God works through it and brings about his glory through pain. And all these questions, these thoughts, it kind of dabbles in the mind of God. God, why am I in pain? Is this just the natural consequence of life, or is this something that you have brought about? It dabbles in the mind of God, and quite frankly, it's not my place. I can't tell you why you are in pain. But there's absolutely a sense in which God may be glorified through pain. Of course, the pinnacle being the cross, but what about our pain? Right? How can our pain result in anything? How can our pain result in the glory of God? What results from pain? So John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we'll look at verses 1 through 27. We're going to take this uh, story of Lazarus in three parts. We're going to start today with one part and then finish it up in the next two weeks. But John chapter 11, starting with verses 1 and 2, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, this is the first time we hear about Mary, Martha, and the Gospel of John. But in Luke chapter 10, you can see where they probably meet Jesus for the first time. Of course, you remember that account. Martha is distracted with much serving. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus. And it's clear that in this chapter of John, just the next chapter, John chapter 12, we're going to see them again. Uh, We're going to see where Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany, as John notes in verse 2. And we also got to keep in mind where we left off at the end of John chapter 10, where Jesus was. Jesus went to the place that John had been baptizing. Now, I don't know if that shows up too well, 
But he's up in the north. He's over at Anon near Salim. That is where John was baptizing. And then Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're down in Bethany, which is by Jerusalem. And so Jesus, he's just under 80 miles away. This is going to be an important little fact here. He's just under 80 miles away. So it probably would have been, more than likely would have been, a four-day travel to Bethany from Anon. So that being said, let's continue on verse 3. It says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love. Now that word there translated as love is not the usual word we think of. Often we think of, hey, is this agape love? But this is not agape love. This is the Greek word phileo. And phileo often has to do with an affectionate friendship kind of love. Meaning that Lazarus is not just some rando Jesus met one day. Lazarus and Jesus seem to be friends. They have an affectionate friendship kind of love. And so Mary and Martha, they appealed to Jesus based on his friendship, his affection for Lazarus. And obviously the fact that they're willing to sin for Jesus means this isn't just any old illness. This isn't a simple cold that he's going to get over. The implication is they're concerned about him. They're concerned that he's going to die. And Jesus responds in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now that's kind of a weird response. Right? Because after all, this illness does lead to death. Lazarus dies. Now perhaps Jesus is talking about a certain kind of death. You remember several weeks ago we talked about how we may very well die a physical death, but in Christ we are alive. Maybe that's what Jesus has in mind here. But pay close attention to the second half of this verse. It's very important. It says, it is for, Jesus says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Right? So this illness and eventual death results in, and through it, God is glorified. Now think about this. If it is for the glory of God, if it is for the glory of God and it glorifies the Son of Man, what does that tell us about the Son of Man? He, Jesus, the Son of Man, receives glory as God. I think this is just another instance in which the text is telling us, hey, Jesus is God. The Son of Man is receiving glory as God. And then Jesus, he doesn't, rather, he, he doesn't do something which is strange in verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when, or therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That seems a little bit strange. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them, therefore, he stays where he is. Jesus loves them, therefore, he doesn't go to them. Right? How, does that, how is that loving, right? Usually when we hear about somebody being sick, a loved one being sick, and seriously sick, that might lead to death. We're going to go to them to be with them. How is this loving? We're going to see this in a little bit, but for now the stage is set. Mary and Martha, they send for Jesus. They appeal to his affection for Lazarus. Jesus says that his illness is not going to lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And Jesus does not immediately go to them because he loves them. Let's continue in verses 7 through 10. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go again to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
So based on this here, it seems that this event, Lazarus dying, is pretty soon after Jesus was just down in Judea. Right? The Jews, they were wanting to stone him. And so presumably, maybe like a week after this, Lazarus is sick. He's about to die. And so Jesus, he goes on again about it being, well, there's this 12 hours a day. It's day. We've got to do the works of him while it's day. I think this is referring to John chapter 9, verse 4. I imagine the disciples are probably confused. What do you mean it's, there's 12 hours in a day, Jesus? What could be talking about? We've got somebody sick. John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Right, so Jesus says, hey, it's day. I think he's referring to his time on earth, or it could just refer to while the church is on earth being the light of the world. And then he says in verses 11 through 13, the text says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Now you think they would know better. Uh, it was pretty common for them to refer to people who are dead as asleep. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the, du- in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It was pretty common to refer to people as being asleep when they are dead. Now, perhaps Jesus is just trying to break it to them softly. Like, hey, he's just asleep. Don't need, no need to worry. He's just asleep. But that just right over their heads. And then Jesus says in verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. All right, this isn't a nap. He's dead, dead. All right? He's dead. Now, this note may just be more important than him relaying the fact that he is dead. I believe this provides some explanation to as why Jesus waits two days. If I'm correct, if I'm reading this passage correctly, I think Jesus decides to go to Bethany when Lazarus has died. What makes me say this? Well, how would Jesus have known Lazarus was dead? Think about this. The only correspondence was that Lazarus was sick, and so it just seems that Jesus just knows that he's dead. And when they arrived to Bethany, the journey would have been more than likely four days. When they arrived to Bethany, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. So it seems, based on the text, based on the context, that Jesus decides to leave when Lazarus has died. Why? Why would he just decide to leave when Lazarus has died? Well, if you think about it, one reason might be Uh, If he left when he heard Lazarus was sick, he still would have died two days into the journey. There there are some hands out out there. There's also this on the slides. I don't know if you can read that that well, but if you have the handout, you can see this on there. If he left when he heard Lazarus was sick, Lazarus still would have died. Still would have died halfway into their journey. And then another question might be, why didn't Jesus just heal him? Right In John chapter 4, Jesus heals the official son, even though Jesus was not present with them. So we know it's well within Jesus' ability to heal somebody, even though he's not there with them. So why? Why didn't just Jesus just heal him? Well, what did the text say? All right, what did the text say that this is going to result in? It says it's going to result in the glory. It's going to demonstrate God's glory. And not only this, I think in this text we're going to see Jesus' love. In the next few sermons, we're going to see Jesus' love because we've got to hold on to the fact that he was dead four days. Next week, this is going to be very important. There's a difference between being dead two days and being dead four days. 
and Jesus raising somebody after four days of being dead. That's going to demonstrate his glory. That's going to demonstrate his love as we cover this text. Verses 15 through 16. Jesus says, And for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Right, so not only is God's glory in view, not only is this illness and this eventual death for God's glory, belief will come out of this. How? Right, think about this. Is it the pain? Is it the death that leads to belief? No. Right? It's Jesus' work. It's the work that Jesus does in spite of the pain and death that's going to lead to belief. And we continue on, verses 17 through 19. Now, when Jesus came in, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So we see that the Jews come in from Jerusalem. Now, remember, Jesus was just down there, and they wanted to stone him, so this might be a little awkward. They're over here consoling Mary and Martha. They're crying, and then maybe they're picking up pocket or rocks out of their pockets, getting ready to stone Jesus again. So this is a pretty awkward situation, I would imagine. Verses 20 through 22. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, or if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, even now I know that whether, whatever you ask from God, God will give you, you could have kept him from dying. Right? She's well aware of Jesus' ability. She knows, she probably knows that Jesus healed the official son in John chapter 4, even though he wasn't physically present. I don't think these verses, though, I don't think these verses show a lack of faith. I don't think Martha is doubting Jesus. Verse 22, quite frankly, shows how much she trusts Jesus. Or she knows what Jesus is capable of. She knows what he's capable of, but she does not blame him. She doesn't blame him for not doing what he could have done. Now think about that. Can God heal all our sicknesses and all our illnesses and take away all our pain? Yes. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes God doesn't do what he could do. So how do we do with that? Do we blame God? Some ask, well, why didn't, you know, why didn't God do anything? Why didn't God do anything for my situation? Why didn't God take away my pain? He, he's just not, apparently not doing anything. But the thing is, he did. Maybe God didn't do something immediately in your situation. Maybe God didn't immediately take away your pain. Maybe God didn't stop somebody from dying. But the reality is that God has done something. And he did that through Jesus. God has done something about the problem of suffering, about the problem of pain. He may very well not do something in the immediate situation. He may very well not keep you from being in pain. But in the grand scheme of things, the big picture, he has done something. Martha doesn't blame Jesus for not doing what he could have done. 
Now here's a question for you. Is there a difference between keeping somebody from dying and raising someone from the dead? <laughs> Obviously. There's a huge difference between keeping somebody from dying and raising somebody from the dead. And to answer how this demonstrates God's glory, he does something greater than keeping somebody from dying. Right? We could do that to a certain extent. With our modern medicine, with our modern technology, we can, to a certain extent, keep somebody from dying, but God does something we could never do. He raises the dead. That's the end game here for Jesus. As he said in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. He's talking about raising him from the dead, which is far greater that's a far greater work than keeping him from dying. And as Jesus tells Martha in verses 23 through 25, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Yet again, Martha displays some tremendous faith here. Uh, she seems to be picking up on what Jesus had already taught in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. She knows what Jesus has taught. She displays faith, but that's not exactly what Jesus has in mind here right now. He's not talking about the eventual resurrection. He's going to do something now to display God's glory. Verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so as we cover this passage with Jesus uh, raising Lazarus the next few weeks, this whole passage demonstrates God's glory. He does something only he can do. And it demonstrates his love in the way that he does something greater than just keeping Lazarus from dying. God doesn't just keep us from dying. God's going to do something greater than just keeping us from dying. He's going to raise us to a much better life than the one we are currently living. And because of what he does, because of what Christ does, because of his work, because of his love, it results in belief, and belief leads to resurrection and life. Now, I cannot tell you whether or not God intends your pain. I don't know why you're in pain. But what I can tell you is that God loves us. Our pain does not discredit God's love. God loves us. God will be glorified even through pain, and those who believe will be raised to a resurrection of life. And so the ball is in your court. In our court, do we believe this? Do we believe what can result from pain and even death? And so Martha responds in verse 27. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She's in pain. Martha's in pain. She's suffering. Her family is suffering. But she doesn't blame Jesus for it. She doesn't blame Jesus for not doing what he could have done. She trusts him because of what he can do and what he will do. You can trust him as we stand and sing.